Hey everyone, this is Mike Joseph, and I just wanted to say that I hope you enjoy the episode you're about to listen to. If you do, I kindly ask that you tell a friend about Detoxicity. Even better, please rate, comment, and subscribe on whichever platform you're using to listen. I'm always on the hunt for new and interesting guests, and I like keeping in touch with those of you who listen. So, if you have a recommendation for a guest, or if you just want to know what I do day-to-day, follow me on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph, or on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy, or both. You can even email me at DetoxPod at gmail.com. On a less self-promotional tack, I really hope that you and yours are keeping yourselves and others safe during this pandemic, and even if you listen to this after the pandemic is over, there is no greater quality, in my opinion, than people who are empathetic and kind to others. Hell, it's a big reason I do this podcast in the first place. Enjoy the show, and be well. You might be familiar with Troy Ramey from the televised singing competition The Voice. Just a couple of years ago, uh, Troy made it to the top 12 of that show under the tutelage of coach Gwen Stefani. However, Troy is a lot more than a contestant on one season of a a reality show. In our interview, we talk about how the passing of his father drew him closer to music being more than a hobby. We also talk about the pluses and minuses of being your own boss and how much of a struggle that has been in the last year of the COVID-19 pandemic. I cannot believe we've now been going through this for a full year. (sighs) Lord help us. Anyway, almost all of this discussion is colored by Troy's ongoing experiences with depression and anxiety. Proving that being tough and being sensitive are not mutually exclusive, Troy honestly discusses his battles with self-doubt, his tendency to overanalyze, I can relate, and how even despite all of that, he manages to count his blessing. Troy's a good dude, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Troy Ramey, y'all. Um, hello, my name is Troy Ramey. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am singer-songwriter, um, artist, um, human being. It would be That's... really weird if you weren't a human being, Troy. <laughs> I know. Well, I don't feel like one in uh, 2020. I feel like I'm an alien, but I think a lot of us do. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess we start with your singing. You grew up in New England, right? Like Massachusetts, if I remember correctly. I was born and kind of grew up in Vermont and then oh, Rhode, okay. I- and Rhode Island as well. So I've been to Vermont twice in my life and the remoteness of it always freaks me out a little bit. What was it like growing up in Vermont? is the best really (laughs) yeah it was the best um i mean i miss it a lot it's not for everybody you know it's like um i don't know where are you from i'm from new york you're from new york yeah so you know it's totally different like my comfort zone is being in open space and you know driving down the road and not seeing another car or very few cars having it you know the house that we grew up in we had no neighbors for like i don't know a quarter mile a half mile it's just all woods you know that's what i kind of feel um is is my home and my like what i where i feel most peaceful i could do both though you know i went to i went to college in boston and the second half of my high school um years i I finished in rhode island so it was a little bit more populated and i like both aspects of life but these days, man, I just kind of wish I had a, lo- a little cabin up in the woods and away from everybody. <laughs> I don't blame you there. You started out in music sort of late, like you were a teenager before you really discovered that you wanted to be a musician. You were more of an athlete first, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, my dad was a basketball coach. He was the high school basketball coach. And my dad was also a musician. 
Um, and so at home, we, you know, my dad was always playing the guitar and singing with me and my sisters. Um, but he was, he was a good, a great basketball coach. And from the time I was a little kid, I was always a gym rat, just hanging around his, his practices and going to all the games with him on the bus and stuff. That was kind of my focus as a young kid was basketball and sports and stuff. But I always had a, an itch for music, even though I never had the guts to, to sing in front of anybody. <laughs> were you just like, I can't sing? Or were you afraid of being vulnerable in front of people? Which singing, I, I've only done karaoke. I've never actually vocalized in front of a group of people seriously. So I don't yeah. know what that feels like. I think it was a mix of both probably because you definitely have to be uh, comfortable being a little bit vulnerable on stage, you know, so that was probably part of it. I, I thought, you know, I don't think I thought I was any good. I've, o I've always been pretty good at imitating people. And so, you know, I would always like, like try to be funny to my sisters and like pretend I was Bon Jovi and sing Bon Jovi <laughs> songs and like, you know, just to make them laugh. And then I remember one time, um, my sister, cause my sister's always saying when, when I was younger and I never really like was into it. Um, and I remember one time I sang something and I was like being a goofball and my older sister, Tyler was like, you know, it's weird. Cause like you're singing, like you, you, you're like perfectly in tune. Uh, but like, I just don't know if I like your voice that much. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Very real she, talk. I know, but she's just, you know how brothers and sisters, yeah. Yeah, they like to like make fun of each other and stuff. But um, no, I, I used to love to like just copycat and like, you know, I would always copy R. Kelly and like sing his all those crazy runs and the, like the R&B stuff. And I think I just realized like um, at, at some point, I'm like, I actually think I could probably do this. And it took a while to like figure out what voice is supposed to come out of me naturally instead of like imitating everybody but that's kind of where the interest started <laughs> that's some real confidence though to even get to a point where you feel like i can really do this i, I feel like that takes like a big leap of, of faith a, a leap of confidence it definitely did but it wasn't like a it was a long long process i discovered that i loved singing early on in my teenage years but i didn't even attempt to get on a stage until i was probably like 22 or 23 and I remember how nervous I was even then. Um, and then it was just a slow progression. I, 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 I do remember the first time that um, the band that I had back then, a bunch of my buddies, and, and I just remember being on stage for the first time and that feeling of like, this is amazing. This feels like <clears throat> I could do this forever. And I wasn't even any good back then. I, <laughs> I think I had a little bit of raw talent, but I just had, when I listened to like, practice tapes and stuff from back then I cringe because I'm like oh my god what was I doing <laughs> but it when, was like a it was a spark that eventually grew into something that I I really was obsessed about um improving on what was the catalyst to finally make the switch and say okay I'm not balling anymore I'm gonna be a singer well I mean, it's not like I had a future in the in in basketball as a player. Like, I mean, I don't know how uh, good you were. So I, <laughs> I was a decent player, but I, I played um, in college at, for a Division three program. Um, but you know, like I I played for my first two years, and then I ended up transferring schools. My father passed away, and it was like a big, it was a heavy situation, and 
I needed like a change of pace. So I transferred schools and I stopped playing after my sophomore year. But um, my, my game plan in life up until that point was to probably try to follow in my dad's footsteps as a coach. So I was thinking about finishing my basketball career and then getting into like being a assistant coach somewhere or going down that route. So I guess basketball was such a big part of my life with my dad. And when he was gone, it was, I don't know, it was just kind of not enjoyable anymore for me. Um, and I don't know why, but it was, it was almost like it was kind of um, like too sad, <laughs> which, I get it. which makes it, I, you know, I never thought about it like that <clears throat> in the moment or, or and I, don't, I don't think about it like that when I, when I reflect on stuff, but I guess it, it, that may have been a reason, but it's funny because music is also sad when I think about my dad, because that was like in our house was my dad as a, not as a teacher or a coach, but him as a human being and a father. And it was art and music in the house. So I, I guess I chose to latch onto that um, and let that kind of guide my, my future rather than basketball for some reason, maybe because it's more expressive or, you know, allowed me to kind of dig into my, uh, my emotions a little deeper. I don't know than taking a three point shot. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I, I, I would like to meet somebody who views a sport the same way a lot of people who are artistic view their art. Yeah. And I think maybe if you're LeBron or your magic or, or MJ or somebody like that, maybe you make that association. But yeah. I think it's a very small amount of people as compared to the amount of people who draw or write or do music. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree fully. There's definitely people that can can put their their focus and their passion in in sports. But at that point, I was kind of already at the end of my line with sports because like, like I said, I was it's not like I mean, LeBron James and I graduated from high school in the same year. <laughs> <laughs> so just to put that in perspective, it's not like I had a uh, future in, in basketball after <laughs> after the D3 um, college hoops. <laughs> gotcha. And that actually, what you were saying leads into my next question, which is, is writing songs, getting into songwriting and, and then performing on top of that, is that therapeutic for you? Which you kind of answered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It is definitely therapeutic. Um, or it can be. It can also be really frustrating and obnoxious. <laughs> you oh, know? Obnoxious in what way? <laughs> like, um, I don't know, in many ways, like it, for for one, you know, if, if I write a song that I and I write a song, finish it, produce it, have it be the most the, something I'm most proud of in my life. And then just being at this level where it's like so hard to have the song break through to a point where it can be as successful as I think it should be, or I would hope that it could be. Um, so that's obnoxious. That's one thing about it that's obnoxious. The other thing is just like, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So sometimes I can really get in my own way. I second guess myself a lot and I feel like just going with with my gut is probably the best way to go in a lot of um, circumstances when I'm writing lyrics or if I'm coming up with a melody. Sometimes I I get a little bit too analytical and it's it's like a form of self sabotage that I've talked to a bunch of my buddies who are artists and songwriters as well and they kind of go through the same thing. So I might not be alone 
in this, but <laughs> it is beautiful to write something that I'm proud of, but it's also just, I'm like, so, some days I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why am I torturing myself <laughs> this way? You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Is that something, is that a feeling that only hits you when you're making music or is that part of the Troy aesthetic? Like, are you generally speaking an over analytical person? It's definitely not something that's uh, limited to just music. It's definitely like a, a big part of me, unfortunately. <laughs> it's like, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what happened. I just, I tend to have a hard time making big decisions. And uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know exactly why it's such a pain in the ass because when I finally am able to like make a decision and like move on, then it just, you know, feels like such a weight is lifted. You it's know? a relief. It's a big relief. And, and I know that. And even still, sometimes it's hard to like just make the call and move on. <laughs> do, do you ever catch yourself in the moment like, dude, what are you doing? Like, just do one thing or do the other thing? Or do you only realize that you've overthought it at the end of it? I feel like at this point in my life, I'm aware fully of everything that's happening in the moment. And even still, I catch myself like in the middle of indecision and be like, dude, just like fucking, uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know if I can swear. You can swear as much <laughs> as you want. <laughs> I'm like, dude, just do what you need to do. You know what you need to do. Just do it. You know, I think obviously a lot of that comes down to my, you know, just being a depressed person in general and, and, you know, dealing with anxiety and stuff. A lot of that, um, indecision is it's all linked i think and it's it's like a it's a strange um it's a really strange situation because the more i've been trying to get better and feel better the more aware i am of my actions and my thoughts the more i'm tortured by them because <laughs> i'm get like, it i'm looking right at them and it's like oh god i gotta deal with this shit right now you know when you're an analytical person and then you realize that you're an analytical person, everything you think about has in the background, am I overthinking this? Am I overthinking this? Cause I know I overthink shit. Like, am I over? So it almost makes it worse. Yeah. It makes it so much worse because I, sometimes I'll, I'll spend an entire afternoon regretting something I said to somebody like seven years ago that it just like popped up in my head. And I'm like, what a fucking idiot. Why would you say that? What an <laughs> asshole. Should you, should I call them and like apologize? <laughs> Now, what's the chance that they actually remember that thing that zero happened? the chance is zero <laughs> they're not thinking about me or what i said to them one night when we were drinking like a bottle of whiskey like they don't know um yeah i just pictured that call being like hey this is troy i just want to apologize for this thing and then being like what <laughs> yeah it would be go so back to bed <laughs> it would be so stupid but i am happy that i'm aware of that kind of stuff now because you know it it's like a slow process to be able to like, you know, take small bites and, and focus on what is really important to deal with. And I have been getting better at um, trying not to be overwhelmed by stuff like that, because when you are an analytical person, sometimes the inaction mixed with the over analysis just piles up into a huge pile. That's really overwhelming deal with whether it's like whatever it is career stuff personal stuff relationship stuff um anything and it, it all becomes a giant pile of shit that 
is completely overwhelming. And what happens, what has happened to me in the past is I'll just try to ignore it until, until it gets so big that it's like, you know, until it crushes you. So this year I've been, I've been getting much better at, at being able to kind of chip away at that pile. Um, just one thing at a time. And, um, you know, I still, I, I still feel like shit a lot, but I'm also like able to enjoy things more than I, than I used to. Um, and especially in like the last five, six years, it was a really weird, um, time to be m my brain. <laughs> what's, what's been the catalyst behind the change? Cause for 2020, a lot of people have been going in the opposite direction, mental health wise. Yeah. What yeah, in the I, last, you know, year or two has been the thing that's kind of making you start to figure stuff out a little bit. Well, I've always kind of been dealing with, with depression and anxiety and, you know, inaction and, and sadness and stuff like that. I've been trying to get my shit together for forever for probably the last three, four years. But I really, I kind of got fed up. It also has, it's also really been linked to my, my health, like my, my fitness. Like, you know, we talked about, I used to play basketball in college. I used to be super fit and, and thin and, and active and kind of over the last 10 years that ever, you know, the, my, just not being active and not taking care of myself like I should, it made all of the other mental issues much worse. Um, and it all, it's all like tied together. So I was on this path of trying to get my shit together physically because I knew that it would help me mentally because a lot of times I would be so upset that I'd gained a shitload of weight or be embarrassed. And I don't want to take, I don't want to be in front of the camera. Um, or, you know, I'd go take photos and I'd, would be so angry because I hate the way that they all fucking looked. Um, and it sounds ridiculous to say that, but it's the truth. And, um, and that was like, so such a big part of, um, and it still is about how, like what kind of triggers the, the downward spiral. So when 2020 came around, I was on uh, like the ledge of making a big decision on how to move forward in, in that. And I had started lifting weights like a year prior and I was like really proud of how strong I was getting, but I was drinking too much. My diet was crap. Um, so I was kind of at, at the point where I was just ready to make a change. And then the pandemic happened and it was like, you know, pulled a rug out from, from under everybody. Mm -hmm. I saw myself like going headfirst down that spiral. And I just, I was like, this is going to kill me. I think if I, if I don't like get my head out of this space, then I don't know if I'm going to make it out of here. Like not literally, but you know, I just didn't think it was, I was ever going to get out of that place that I hated to be in so bad. So I, I quit drinking in April. Congratulations. Um, thanks. Um, I had a couple hiccups, two hiccups and you know, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. Um, but you know, I, I never, I never, uh, I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to quit drinking forever or if I need to just leave alcohol to the side until I can accomplish some goals that I've been putting off for the last 10 years. Um, but I will say that not drinking has really cleared my head a lot. And it's kind of, 
it's like a double-edged sword. It's allowed me to look at my life and my problems and my goals in a way that's clear and not um, tainted by procrastination or, or whatever, but also sucks because you actually have to confront these things and not ignore them. And you can't just go, you know, get a buzz on and, and, and forget about it and move on. Um, so it's been a blessing and a curse. I do love not ever having a hangover though. <laughs> you would think, a- right. You would think that being hung over a couple of times would make somebody feel like, ah, I'm not going to do this shit again. Like it feels terrible the next morning, but it doesn't really work that way. No, it doesn't. And I don't want to toot my own horn, but I was good at drinking. <laughs> I had some epic hangovers. And uh, yeah, definitely not proud of those. But it feels good to be clear and, and to, you know, be in control of um, of my, well, I wouldn't say in control of my mind, but at least aware of it. Um, in better control than you were. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It, it's been a little bit of a struggle moving it from fall summer and fall into winter because i was like really on a incredible i had this amazing um routine i was riding my bike every day for like 15 20 miles and i was just like getting so much activity and then we came back to new york and where we were staying we we were shacked up with my wife's parents we got stuck there for covid um and uh there's not a good place to ride your bike without getting it's like all you know highways down there basically so uh, it's been a struggle to get back in that routine um which has kind of been putting me in a in a foul mood because it it does I, I never realized i guess when i was young because you're always so active when you're young you know you, and i think that's probably why everyone's a little, little bit happier you, as you grow up you get a job you're at a desk or whatever you're sitting on your ass all day long and it's miserable to not move until like i i notice when i don't when I don't go out and, and like really kick my own ass physically, I feel like shit. And if that yeah. happens for like a couple of days in a row, it's like, it's awful. Yeah. So I gotta, that's like my goal right now is to figure out how to substitute how I was feeling riding my bike, what, what else I can do. I know I could run, but running sucks. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> it really does. As a former runner, I can, I can vouch for that. But yeah, even if it's just walking around or something like that, but you make a really good point with when you're young, Monday to Friday, you're in school and you've got PE at least once a day. So your body's moving at some point. And then on the weekends, I don't know what it is for kids and teenagers. Now it's probably a little different than when you and I were that age, but I didn't have, you know, there was no internet, no game systems, none of that shit. So we went outside and we ran around like idiots until we were tired. Yeah. So that's, um, I don't know. How old are you? I'm 35. Okay. I'm 44. So I'm older than okay. you. Yeah, yeah. But basically the same. No, there's no internet. The, the coolest game system that was around when I was a kid was like super Nintendo. Yeah. That, that came out. Like, I think when I was, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade or something like yeah. that up in Vermont, we were always outside. Like even in the winter we were skiing, we were like sledding or whatever, <clears throat> always moving. It's funny because I always think, even in my songs and my art, I'm always, I have this like feeling of nostalgia of this, like, I'm always reaching for that, that memory or that feeling because I felt so happy as a kid. And I just like, remember what it felt like to be so like carefree, carefree. And, 
um, and happy and innocent. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with you're, you're ignorant as a kid to like, you know, the, the shit that comes later on in life. But it's also that you don't have energy. You don't have time for that shit because you just burnt all your energy, like doing what you're supposed to do as a human and just like running around and enjoying yourself. Yep. A lot of the people, or you know, people that I follow that are into fitness and mental health, that, that's like the biggest thing that that they say is that you have to be, you have to take care of your body and you have to move. And if if you don't, then you're gonna have a hard time snapping out of that that um, that downward spiral. Absolutely. Uh, did I'm assuming you and your dad were pretty close? Yeah. So him passing must have affected you a great, great, great deal. Yeah um yeah it was yeah. rough <clears throat> it would kind of suck you know it's it's like it's a long time ago at this point he he passed away in 2004 so 16 years ago um and i was 19 and so i was just at the point where like i was starting to get to know him like as a person rather than just like my dad right and a, th- <laughs> a person as opposed to an authority figure yeah and uh, it's just such a bummer that that he had to go and one of my best friends recently just lost his dad and i've been like you know talking to him and it sucks now with covid like they can't see anybody and and it's like he's so isolated like he was up there with his dad while he was dying and his own wife couldn't be there because it was just too much of a risk for like everybody to be back and forth in the house sure and i'm just like man this fucking sucks it just brought me back to that time and how um how unfair it is, you know, to lose somebody that you love. It happens. It's going to happen to all of us. Um, but it's like, it's just unfortunate because um, it always seems like the good people, you know, it's always, it always happens to the good people. That's the, the Billy and, Joel song, you know? Yeah, it's, it's true. Not that I want anybody to die. Cause I don't, but it's like, you get, you get a handful of, um, of people that are really just amazing people and have an incredible impact on other people's lives and they don't get a chance to stick around and and enjoy the rest of it which is a bummer you know yeah it, you're absolutely right you know it's interesting to see you and talk to you and you know you're this like big manly dude but you're speaking so openly and vulnerably i think that's the word um were you always kind of in touch with your feelings or is that a fairly new development? Um, <clears throat> I was always pretty, pretty in tune, you know, not afraid to talk about it. I've always gone away from pretending. I'm not a good pretender. And like, I'm also, uh, I'm not, in, I'm not really into like the macho shit even though, you know, on a basketball court, I will kick your fucking ass <laughs> and I'll squat 500 pounds in the gym. <laughs> but like, I'm not afraid to talk about um, <clears throat> how I feel about stuff. I never have been. I don't remember a time when, when I really was, was shy or felt the need to pretend that I didn't feel a certain way. And I think that comes down to the way that I grew up with my mom and my dad. My dad was like a really emotional guy. And he was an intense guy, like he was a, a very strict teacher and a really tough basketball coach, but he was never afraid to like 
you know, tell us that he loved us. And he, like, every time that we did something that made him proud, he would cry, you know? And so, like, there was always, like, deep emotions happening in my in my house. My mom was kind of, like, more like a stone. <laughs> a little <laughs> and, bit more stoic. Yeah, and she, I mean, obviously, she still um, showed us that she loved us every day and told us that she loved us. Um, but my dad was, like, way more dramatic about it, <laughs> you know? But he was, like, a tough guy but he was just not afraid to um to love his kids and so i think that's you know that probably has a lot to do with how i walk around in the world i don't like to pretend maybe that's why i kind of fell into songwriting and singing because it helps me kind of uh dig into that a little more yeah. it also ties back into confidence to have the confidence to be yourself and not be a bullshitter yeah. sort of ties into being able to stand in front of a crowd or put yourself on TV and sing and speak your truth and not be too worried about what's going to come as a result of that. Yeah, I fully agree. It's also funny because it's it's complicated when it when it comes to like the whole mental health thing and, and, and depression. There's on one hand, I have confidence in myself and the, the work that I've done and, and um, and becoming who I am as a, as an artist. But on the other hand, there's like some incredible insecurity that I've been dealing with my whole life that like is always like trying to get a chance to sabotage what's happening on this side. Is <laughs> you it, know what I mean? Yeah. That comes a couple of different ways. Is it a situation where sometimes you feel like you're not worthy of something or do you feel like you're not as good enough as someone else who might be doing the same thing? I think there's probably a little bit of an imposter syndrome in there, but not so much anymore. I mean, I really believe in myself and my and what I'm capable of it. But I think there is a part of me that thinks like maybe maybe I don't deserve it yet because I haven't worked hard enough or I haven't worked as hard as I possibly could or or whatever. And I I don't know. Maybe that's just being trying to be a perfectionist and like beating myself up because I didn't stay up till four in the morning, like working on that song. And I just went to bed at 10 when I was tired, <laughs> you know, like I'll hear stories of, of successful people. And it's like, they, they never, you know, they never slept. They never did this. They, don't, they didn't see anybody. I'm like, maybe that's how I have to live my life if I want to have success. And that's bullshit. <laughs> but it's like, it's in the back of my mind sometimes. So maybe that's part of it. But even going back to when I was a kid, like I always, I had a happy childhood. I had a lot of friends. I was pretty popular. You know, I had, no, no, I was never like, nothing bad has ever happened to me really. And for some reason, I always felt a little uncomfortable in my skin. I, I can't really quite figure that out um, as to why. Cause like I said, I had a lot of friends from different, every different group of cliques in the school. I was friendly with everybody. Um, and I was always pretty good at everything I did. And for some reason, I just always kind of felt this weird sadness. And um, and it's always been bugging me because I do feel like it's been holding me back a little bit. It's, you know, I'm 35. It's still a part of my life. Sure. Which pain in the ass, you know. Um, but, um, you know, I think, uh, like we said before, as long as as long as um, there's awareness that there's a potential for um, progress, I guess. 
Right. Yeah. I don't know if the key or if the way to think is this is going to go away. I think the way to think is this is something that I got to deal with it, that I have to deal with. So I should minimize it or at least yeah. acknowledge it and then try to make peace with it. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's not something that's going to go away. It's just a matter of how to live with it and, and like not be paralyzed by it. Right. So how, how does that come into play now, aside from being on stage or or something like that? How does that come into play in your regular life, your non-musical life, I guess? Well, I have a hard time separating my musical life from my life. <laughs> that's probably, that's a big problem in and of itself. My wife is always telling me that I need to be able to enjoy my life outside of music and, and not be like, you know, if I'm worried about something or stressed about some decision I have to make or, or, you know, things not going my way or whatever, it's hard. Cause it's not like a nine to five job where you just, you know, you go do your shit and then you leave and then you're home. It's like always on my mind. There's a lot of pressure because I also make all my money from music to pay the bills. I have to play weddings and stuff like that. And, and so like, it's constantly, stress factor i'm not good at at turning it off that's something that that i have to <laughs> i gotta work on that too um but it's also you know as challenging as it is also really rewarding if i give myself a chance to enjoy the the little victories you know like i haven't had to work for anybody else in the last four years that's awesome um, which is pretty cool obviously this year is a different story we all got to do what we got to do to to get by because we're not allowed to see other people <laughs> right. right um so it's been hard to play weddings and shit this year um play any shows um but you know that's something I'm, I'm i am really proud of that because i try to remind myself of how i felt when i worked in an office building for an engineering company and it was a good job it, like made good money had good benefits but... <laughs> And, uh, but like I was in a cubicle and like, I would finish what I had to do for the day in like two hours. And then for the rest of the day, I was literally like pretending, pretending to work, to work. And I'm like, this is so miserable. I'm like, this is, I would rather have so much shit to do than just like sit here and pretend because I felt like I was wasting my life. And I then feel if like I, a lot of people who have cubicle jobs are in that exact same boat, bro. It's awful. It is so awful. I used to like, I used to like where I sat, the sun would like shine right on my face, like at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I would just like close my eyes and be like, I could just walk out right now. <laughs> I leave. I could just leave right now. I don't, I, because I was too much of a little bitch to like actually pull the trigger and give my two weeks because I didn't really know how I was going to make a living playing music. Um, so I'm like, what if I just left and like made up? made up an excuse like oh shit something really bad happened back home i gotta go and then i never come back to work <laughs> but eventually i did figure out a game plan and i left the job it was the best thing i ever did but it was a good job it was like but it's just not for me you know and um a lot of people that i know feel the same way it's just not a very fulfilling feeling life. yeah it's like you gotta kind of partition yourself in in a way and think 
hey, well, this is how I pay my bills and feed my family, feed myself, do all this other shit. But it sucks your soul out from inside. Not not every office job is like that. Right. But some office jobs like take your soul from inside your body and just suck it out. Yep. Yep. This one was was so it was such a weird job because it was like it was an engineering firm and I'm not an engineer, but like I was one of the support staff and like we did environmental inspecting like asbestos and lead paint stuff. Part of that job I loved because, you know, you go out to a site and you're actually like testing things and, and taking samples. I didn't mind that because it was a different, a different scenario every day and you're kind of like doing something. Okay. And time passes. But like the other part of that, when you like get promoted or like become a little too overqualified to be in the field, you sit at the desk and you fill in spreadsheets and you do like menial, menial bullshit tasks that are just like... You know, uh, it wasn't for me. And I was like, oh, my God. And then this, you know, like the kid that worked next to me is always like look, looking over the cubicle. What are you eating for lunch? Is that a, is that a turkey sandwich? <laughs> and you never um, like turned around and said none of your goddamn business. I did. I'm like, it's none of your fucking business, Eric. <laughs> I hope he watches this because I used to tell him that all the time. And he's like, what are you, what are you eating? Like, what are you eating for lunch today, Subway? Good Eric, Lord. it's none of your fucking business what I'm eating for lunch. Leave me alone. Yeah, that's 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 a bad situation. <laughs> but you don't have to deal with that anymore. Because... No, I don't. So that's what I'm saying. So yeah. to make a long story short, I like to remind myself that, you know, the, the problems that I have now in the way that I make a living, no matter what they are, are so much better than what they used to be because... I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And um, I think what I hate now about certain things are just, it's not the actual job because the job is playing music, but I, I get a little overwhelmed sometimes by the challenges that being self-employed faces. Like, you know, it's a little stressful when you don't know when the money's coming in. But what's also cool is that you could book 10 weddings in one week and it's like, holy shit, like now, now I feel good about what I'm doing. Or, you know, you have one of your songs gets picked up on a big Spotify playlist or something. And you're like, yes. Yeah. Um, it's like the risk is bigger, but the reward is bigger too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a matter of perspective. Yeah. How, how important do you think it is to be open about, well, this is, a, I guess a two part question to be open about your mental health, one to the people that you're close to, and also as a public figure to the people that support your, your art. I think it's important because, you know, the more people talk about this, um, the more comfortable people are everyday people are going to feel about, um, feel about it. And like, you know, if there's, it could, because the, these issues around mental health and depression, if you don't deal with them, they can cause incredible problems in your life you know worst case scenario they can eventually lead to suicide um but everything up in between in between that they can they can lead to you know you losing your livelihood or losing a relationship or distancing yourself from your friends and family or whatever and if you ignore it it's not going to go away i feel a responsibility mainly to myself to acknowledge it and um I don't feel like um, 
you know, it's not like I have a platform that's big enough to like make a worthwhile difference. That's that's um, not true, first of all, because well, you can definitely make a worthwhile difference. And I think you already are. Well, <laughs> I I hope so. I mean, you know, I don't know. At this stage of the game, like, I feel like um, honesty is always the best policy. In this world that we live in with Instagram and, and TikTok, and it's all about, you know, everything is a f bullshit fake Everything's a like fantasy. Bullshit fantasy that does not fucking exist. And I'm affected by it. And I'm 35 years old. I, I don't mind talking about how I feel, but I'm a pretty tough guy, like, in general. And I'm so surprised at how that shit affects, still affects me. Like, you know, I'll catch myself on social media and be like, what am I fucking doing? Like, <laughs> what am I doing? Why am I looking at this page? Like, this... Like, this is so stupid, you know? I think it's important for people to be honest because there's so much of the other shit. There's so much of, there's so much garbage that in order for me to feel good about what I'm doing, I, I could never, like, you know, try to put on some bullshit online persona about how things are going. Like, you know, I, a few years, I was on The Voice a few years ago, and I remember um, my buddy and I, John, my buddy Johnny, who was also on the show, we went on tour afterward, after the show. And um, I don't know what we both expected. Our expectations were a little bit higher than reality. There were some, a couple nights where the places were packed and probably 90% of the places were like empty. And we both did really well on that show. And I remember doing an interview about it with a paper back home up in Vermont. And I told him that, and he's like, wow, I can't believe you said that. It's like, what do you mean? It's reality. Like, he's like, well, I can't believe that you said that, like, places were empty. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, am I going to lie to you and, like, tell you that I sold, like, 10,000 tickets? There were four people in this one bar, and I paid for two of them to get in. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that would never work for me anyway, like, the fake bullshit. It works for a lot of young younger kids, I think. But it's always going to wear off at some point, I think, because... You know, at some point, there's going to be somebody else that comes and steals the, the limelight, if, that, if that's even what you're after. For me, it's hard to, to compete with all that stuff, um, or not compete with it, but like prioritize what, uh, what's important. Is it, you know, because you're in the, in the music business, that's apparently important to record labels and people who are trying or, or able to like push your career to the next level. What's your engagement? What's your engagement? What's your, uh, you know, how many followers do you, blah, blah, blah. What's your growth on Instagram, Spotify? I'm just like, who gives a shit? Like, <laughs> you kidding me? I know there are some people, there are some artists that have 2,000 Instagram followers that could sell out a, a room with 500 seats. That's not, that's nothing to do with Instagram likes or follows. That has right. to do with an honest connection that that artist has with the people that are interested in them. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, man, I think honesty is the best policy with with that. If you fake it, then fuck you. <laughs> and I feel like that's a really, that's so real. There are people who are in this weird world where people do follow them because they seem so perfect and everything is so great and all of that stuff. But I do think that if you're a reasonable human being, with life experience that looks things in the eye and is straight 
with everything, you're going to have the best connection with someone who is also someone who has real life experience and is straight, like, and that's the strongest connection between no bullshit and no bullshit. Yeah. So I, I agree. I, yeah. Uh, we're definitely on the same page there. Uh, what, so aside from music, dealing with the shit that you're dealing with, what are, and with, uh, besides exercise, because we talked about that already, what are some of the positive things that you do to kind of like, you know, just keep your, your stuff on a level? Well, I have a lot of bad habits. <laughs> <laughs> You're a human being. I, many of us do. I love watching movies. This might sound ridiculous, but I used to go to the movies probably two or three times a week. Wow. And um, especially last year, when, when we moved in with um, my in-laws to save up for a house before the pandemic, I, they were both retired and I'm self-employed. So I, was, you know, I had a bunch of free time during the day and they were home. 24 hours a day so i'm like i gotta figure out something to do <laughs> during the day so <laughs> like i cannot sit around here with this old this wonderful old greek man because he's gonna like teach me how to make fishing poles all day long um and i can only do that for so many days in a row but anyway, i get it so i would go to the gym and then i would go to the matinees i had the i went to this uh the regal theater you could get like a monthly thing so you just pay monthly go see as many movies as you want um and so 2020 has been tough because I haven't been able to go to the movies one time. Um, I actually did go once. I was in Pittsburgh um, and I saw Tenet in the IMAX, but there was only two other people in the whole theater. So I felt pretty good about it. Right. Um, but, um, you know, as far as other things that I do, um, that's really it, man. I would say that I, I try to learn more about how to deal with deal with it and how to um you know i watch a lot of videos on youtube um on the subject and i try to keep it on the forefront of my mind so i can make sure that i don't slip into habits of not being aware but it's still like you know i even feel guilty even talking about this right now because like why i, I still well not 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 guilty but like you know i'm no one to be like throwing out advice because especially in the last like month or two my I feel like shit has hit the fan in my own brain because summertime was, was okay. I'm like, all right, I'm making progress. I'm outside. I'm, I'm feeling like, even though the world is like burning, feeling like, it, like this is hopeless. At least I have control of something. And now I feel like we're trapped again inside. And, um, and so I've been having a really difficult time um, in the last like month and a half, but obviously playing playing my guitar and, and trying to be creative it has helped a lot um and i have been fortunate that i've been able to kind of put that energy into being creative i have a lot of new songs that i'm dying to get done and and to to get moving so i can kind of like get this part of my life in the lockbox, send it off where it needs to go <laughs> and uh and move on but yeah i mean i think it's really important to let people to, to, it's a part of being human. Some periods we're going to have when things are great. Some periods we're going to have where we think we've almost kind of like conquered shit a little bit. And yeah. some periods, I mean, I have them too. I, I, I've certainly had them in the last couple of months where it's like, fuck. And I feel the same thing. Like, who am I to talk about mental health? Who am I to do 
you know, whether it's doing staying in tune or whether it's doing this podcast or any of the speaking stuff I do, like, who am I to do this stuff when I feel like shit? When I'm stuck in an apartment by myself and not, you know, not always taking the best care of myself or whatever, like, we all get that voice in our head. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that voice and give it space. So it's not like, you know, like the whole life coach philosophy where it's like, everything's going to be better. And this is how you be your best. And like all of that. Cause I think, I, I think that's bullshit. Uh, and I think most reasonable people also think that's bullshit. There's going to be peaks and valleys. Yeah, definitely. There's always peaks and valleys. And one key is learning how to, how to react to the peaks and valleys. Because, you know, if you ride the wave all the way down, it's a lot harder to climb up, back up. Um, that is one thing that I've that I've really have gotten better at, I think, is not letting things that would normally just destroy me. Like, <laughs> I'm, like, able to jump off right before it hits the bottom. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Like, I have not learned that yet. No. <laughs> so- I, I wish I had, uh, I don't know, I don't even know how to, to, to advise it. It's just... Uh, it's one of those things where it's like if you can catch yourself before you hit the bottom, you know it's going to be a lot easier to climb, to climb right. back out. I get it. I get it. And you've also got a wife, and I'm certain you have friends and, and family that you can reach out to yeah. when uh, when you need to. Yeah. Luckily, you know, my wife is is <clears> – <throat> she's been amazing. We've been together – we've only been married for two years, but we've been together for 16 years. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, all right. So I made her wait 14 years. <laughs> Teenage love. <laughs> yeah, I met her. You know, we it, it's kind of, an, you know, it's insane. We met the first day that I moved into my apartment my sophomore year of college. I moved into this side of the, of the apartment building, and she lived on this side. We basically lived together from the first day that we met. <laughs> we met, and then a month later, my dad died. Wow. And it was like... It was the most intense time in my whole life. My dad was very sick, and I was like driving back. I went to school in Boston, so I was, you know, trying to get back and forth to Rhode Island to see him, and like he would get rushed rushed to the hospital, or whatever. And she would, she didn't know me for a week, two weeks, and she would like three in the morning drive me all the way back to Rhode Island, and then, you know, just like kind of drop me off at the hospital, and then drive back to to Boston and I'm like, who is this person? <laughs> and our relationship started at the like worst time in my life. You know, I was like so heartbroken. I was losing my dad and she was like, you know, just a completely selfless, amazing human being. And she, she has been every single day and we've been through a lot, you know, we've been through everything that you can go through growing, you know, from 19 years old to 35. And she's kind of been always there to pull me out of whatever shit I'm putting her through. (laughs) Um, But she, I owe her everything. Um, And even now, I mean, I can't even believe she still deals with this shit. Although she can probably hear me. She's in the kitchen over there. (laughs) Well, A, I'm sure she loves you. And B you clearly have redeeming qualities. Yeah, I might have a couple, <laughs> a couple. Sure, there are more than a, a couple. Aside, aside from just being remarkably handsome. That is one redeeming quality. You know, she's got to dig the, the beard shaved head look. 
Although I had a nice set of lettuce when I met her. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I had a full set of hair. We, we got to go deep in the archives and pull some old Troy Ramey pictures. I wish I had a photo, like, ready to go here. <laughs> but, yeah, I had a full, I had, like, the thickest set of hair. Um, and I was on the basketball team, so I looked a lot different. Um, nice and thin, agile. I was a point guard. I was going to ask you what position you played. Well, I played, I played point and, and shooting guard. I was mainly a shooting guard, but I had to play point in college because we didn't have one. But, um, yeah, man, she's been she's been with me since day one and she's she's gone through her own challenges and and struggles with with certain things but she's got this just amazing quality to always be happy and uplifting and even when she feels like shit herself and i wish i had that skill because she's she's really good at it and then you know like if i'm feeling like shit and she's feeling like shit on the same day i'm like no <laughs> no you need to pull me out of this <laughs> and she's like fuck you you need to pull me out of this um but uh, having a support system definitely helps and i'm super lucky to have that my mom and my sisters um very close with them too and you, you know they go through their own their own stuff too especially this year my my mom and my older sister are both teachers Ooh. so they're like really getting their ass kicked this year and um like my mom is so bad with technology. It's unbelievable. Like every time she calls me, she accidentally hits mute on her phone. So I can't hear her for the first 45 seconds. And I'm like, mom, hit the mute button. Oh my God, this stupid phone. <laughs> but like, so my mom has to now, she's had to learn how to use the computer and technology to teach all these kids. And um, it's been so stressful for both of them. And, and I know that they're both lonely, like being removed from the school system like the, you know being in person in the school system but you know what sometimes it's like it helps to be able to like you know when, when everybody's having a hard time it's like all right well i'm not the only person you know at least at least we're all in this together we're in it together that's right and that helps um it does help a lot so having having people that you you love and, and care about it definitely helps i feel really bad for people who don't have that because man i actually feel horrible because we were, my wife and I were, we went to Target today to get something real quick. And in the parking lot, there was a guy in his car just hysterically crying. Oh. And, and I just was like, I sat, I sat there for a couple minutes and I'm like, man, I really want to go see if he's okay. And like, but I also didn't want to invade his privacy either. So I just, I didn't know what to do, but I just, I was thinking about him after we left and I'm like, man, like, I wonder what happened to him i wonder if he lost somebody to covid or i wonder if he's like lost his job or he doesn't have anybody to talk to or whatever and it just made me feel so sad and also super grateful that i have what i have um one thing you know you asked me about a few minutes ago about what things other than exercising or whatever have i been trying to do and i didn't think of this at the time but one thing I really am trying to do and I'm getting better at um, is acknowledging the, like the little successes and, and I'm not trying to see all the negatives, see the positives first before the negatives. And, you know, when I saw that guy today, it, it like broke my heart thinking about like what the hell's going on with him. And I felt guilty for not saying anything to him, but I also 
I've, I've had a few situations in my life where I've probably been that, that guy like hysterical somewhere and I just want to be alone and like left alone. So I feel like, you know, I don't know if that was the right thing to do or not. Yeah. But... I mean, there's not a, there's not a definite right thing to do in that situation. He didn't look like he was any, in any danger. You know, I, I, he just looked like he was having the worst day of his life. And I, but it just got me thinking like how grateful I am for the things that I have in my life. And although this year is still shit for so many people and it's, it started out shit for us, like my income and my business evaporated completely. And my wife lost her job um, in April. And so we were stuck in her parents' house and I'm like, how is this? Like, this is the worst possible situation. And then over the course of, the the year like I'm, i was trying to count my blessings and things things like turned around pretty quickly for us my wife ended up getting a, a great job and because we didn't have rent or mortgage to pay this year we were able to save up money and we had been saving for the last like year and a half while we were at her parents anyway so we, we were in a position where we could be ready to buy a house um even though my work is not really picked up yet so we're we're on that path we're pretty pretty soon we're going to be getting a house and awesome congratulations um, thank you and you know so when i whenever i get down and like start you know feeling like sorry for myself i'm like you have to be grateful for the things that you have i'm so guilty of always focusing on the shit that i don't have and it's like i do it so much it's exhausting and i don't know if it's ambition or insanity <laughs> <laughs> it might be both but gotta stop and think about the things that i have because some people may not have that they may not have got to that point in their life or whatever and it, it doesn't have it, to be like you know it, it can be small things too like this is just what happened for us and like we kind of went through hell before it, it happened but it is something to celebrate and not get overwhelmed of, of the things that we don't have you know yeah and it's not to say that it's not to say that you can't be sad or you can't be depressed because everyone's sadness is valid. Right. Um, and everybody has the right to feel the way that they feel. And particularly in regards to depression, sometimes, you know, for some people it's situation, situational, but it is an actual illness, um, which fucks your perspective up on, on a lot of things. But I do think and agree with you that having perspective and practicing gratitude and anything related to that is, is really, really helpful in terms of guiding yourself through uh, a time like this. It's hard to think of things to be grateful for when you're falling down a hole emotionally, but being able to at least notice the little things could potentially do wonders to keep you afloat. Whether it's appreciation for the people around you that give off good energy, or simply being able to keep a roof above your head. I think it's important to show appreciation for the things that you do have, not in a way that lessens the mourning of the things that you don't have, but to maybe help provide a balance or perspective. Big thanks to Troy for speaking so honestly and vulnerably. You can find Troy at TroyRamey.com or on Twitter or Instagram at IamTroyMusic. I'm hoping that we get a follow-up discussion with him at some point. So this podcast is all about helping men become better men, sharing stories, talking about being open and practicing, being truthful and honest and having feelings and all that good stuff, but done in a way that's maybe not so... I want to say obvious about it or, or 
it, it, I don't want it to feel like a, a, an after-school special or anything like that. It's just people conversing, trying to make the world a better place, trying to make themselves better people. So if you support that mission, if you want men to be better, better men, if you want people to be better people, make sure you rate, you subscribe, and you follow this podcast. Uh, we really appreciate your patronage. Uh, we appreciate you listening and spreading the word. I am on social media. Instagram is DetoxPodGuy. Twitter is TizMikeJoseph. You can email me even because people still do that, by the way, at detoxpod at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you. If you have a guest that you'd like to suggest, if you want to be on the show yourself, just hit me up. I am here and I am waiting for you, standing by the hotline, waiting for the phone to ring so you can tell me, A, how much you love detoxicity, and B, how much you want to be on the show or you know somebody who wants to be on the show or you have constructive criticism or whatever. I just love communicating with people and uh, I'm not being sarcastic about that last part. Also not sarcastic about this, as I record this, we are still in the middle of the COVID-19 hellscape. So I really, really want to urge you to, you know, just protect yourself, protect the others around you, wear a mask, uh, social distance, do all that good stuff. Just in the name of empathy and being kind to one another, it's important that we all stay safe and healthy. So please do so. Thank you for listening.